holiday that we're talking about for tomorrow.
But they were supposed to go to Virginia. They had received some land on the Hudson River in northern Virginia, but somehow the calculations, they didn't have GPS. And so they landed where? Today's world is in what state, you know? Massachusetts, more specifically, and at the end of Massachusetts that extends out into the ocean and makes a little curl and wraps around, makes a bay there, and that's known as Cape Cod in today's world. And they landed out there first on the ocean side, and then it came around down into the, the harbor side and came to Plymouth, which we call Plymouth Rock today. And that's when they began to build some cabins. They built these 20 by 20 cabins. Some of the people lived there for the rest, some stay on the ship. Now, how many Puritans were in that group? You know? That's a lot of people in Mayflower, I think. I think there was only just a little over a hundred people in the Mayflower. About thirty of them were free members. About forty some of them were Puritans, and about thirty some were other Okay. And so they got there in the wintertime. They thought, you know, we really want to be in Virginia. And so they took out, they headed south for a day or so. And it got so bad, they thought, oh, we better head back to this harbor that we know about around Cape Cod. <clears throat> so we went back there to build the cabins, and they were going to spend the winter there. Now, do you know what Bible the Puritans had in their possession? Anyone know? Puritans had these with them. 
and they land at Plymouth Rock. Now, you've asked a lot of questions. Here's the beginning of Ephesians chapter 1. Can you read that to us? Paul and Apostle Meek. Um, well, it looks like uh, Aiepa says Jesus. Oh. It says Aiepa Chris. <laughs> and it was a little challenging to get into that first day. But this was the Bible. This was one page of the Geneva Bible that those people had. They at this time, you've got in the 1500s, you have Tyndale who was translating in, in Europe because he was hated in England. It was illegal to translate into English. You had Coverdale's English Bible that came into being, and a whole series of Matthew Bible and the Bishop Bible, and a whole series of things that led up to the Geneva Bible. And then in 1611, the King James Version was brought about because he wanted to. He wanted to appear as being the uh, political and religious leader of his time. That's one of the reasons. Okay. But for the people, the Geneva Bible, Bible meant everything to them. And because it had all of these notes, these paragraphs ahead of time to explain it, and its little side notes and everything, that was amazing to them. This was the book, this was the Bible that taught the common people. Explain things, and they had uh, wood carving, uh, fold out maps of things. They had uh, numerous helps of things that we think of normal today in our Bible. This was first occurring uh, in the mid 1500s when this was first printed, and this is what they had. <laughs> now, when they landed, or when they got there, before they got off the ship, do you remember that they wrote something? It was sort of along that line, in the sense that it was a document that they agreed to of how they were going to conduct themselves. And it was like a way to set up a government. And it was known as the Mayflower Compact. And they wrote that out, it was four or five hundred words. On the ship, they signed it, they agreed to it. Okay, now we're going to go on land, and we're going to have an orderly society. And now that came with the Massachusetts Bay Colony, the largest colony at the time of European people in that area. Now, <clears throat> so the first year goes by. The winter was pretty tough. There was about 40-some people involved. Actually, the crew is there too, you know, and the other 40 some people. So they have still about 100 people going through a very hard winter and into the spring and trying to find ways to plant crops of some kind. They had supplies with them to last for a period, but it was necessary that they had to feed with them, they had to plant crops, they had to raise food themselves and buy meat and so forth. And tell us what you mentioned the Wapanag tribe. What was their connection to them? Well, they probably did at some point, but those Indian people were very instrumental in what? 
It's nice when you stay there. <laughs> as long as your parents allow you to. Okay. You know what happens? But you need to be real quiet unless I come back and ask you a question. Okay. All right. Very good. Try to keep the parents from walking down and touching. All right. <clears throat> Let me think about a few other things as well. Because it's important to understand the context of where these things come from. We live in we have positions, Thanksgiving is part of that. But the point of it is, is that in so many ways, this country was founded on biblical principles, Christian principles by Christian people, and a lot of other people as well. But there was a lot of Christian things involved with it. And the whole concept was is to be reflected in the thing and to give thanks and to give praise to the God of the heavens. It was working in our lives. And the things will not will not be like it is, except that it's been working. And, and they recognize that. And they put it they put it in documents and they put it on buildings. If you've been to Washington DC, you put these things in engraved in the buildings. I have another question for you. In the Bible, can you think of another group of people that were on the ship for a lot of days? Noah and who? Okay. Paul wasn't on the same ship as Noah. You're right. No, that's, that's exactly right. Paul was for a number of days on ships going across the Mediterranean. You're right. But the thing about Noah, what are you tell Thank 
Stop living out there where you've been living. Put everything in there. And you wait seven more days. And God shut it down. In some ways, I think that is a, a picture of the kind of attitude and the kind of surrender of our will to God. When we can put ourselves into the ark of safety, that's a phrase we hear sometimes, it's an ark that God has provided, He's provided a plan, He gave me the time and the ability to put that together, so now you get in it, and you trust me, even if it makes no sense. You're sitting here on dry land. And shut it in. God will do that. He does that to us at times. In, in, in the middle of things that are testing our faith, and He wants to put us in, He wants to bind us in, He wants to close us in, and put us inside of His full protection. If we be willing, it's a change of our heart to listen and follow Him, because that's really going to be the safest place we can be, and that's really where we can experience Thanksgiving. Because we are there under his full protection. Let me think about another binding real quick. Think about the account all from Genesis of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham was told to go and sacrifice his only son. And he took Isaac. And they traveled for several days. And they went up on the mountain and they had the fire and they had the wood and they had the knife. And Isaac said, Where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And what did God tell us? What did Abraham say to Isaac? No, he didn't tell him that he was the lamb. God will provide a lamb. That's right. And so they went on and they built the altar, they put the wood on, and he bound Isaac. Have you ever thought about that? What that would be like if your father asked you? Stand there where he wraps you up and finds you, and, and you can see what's going to happen. Isaac was bound. He was shut in. He acquiesced. He surrendered his will to something that made no sense at all. Kind of like building an ark on dry land. But he trusted, and he had faith, and, and for him, he surrendered his heart to his father's will. He gave up his will for his father's will. And as he was about to be killed, the angel stopped Abraham and wouldn't let him go on. Because I said, now I know that you fear God because you were willing to give your only son that you loved. And it was what, what was caught in your body. Yeah. Yeah, a ram. I think it says a ram, but it was a lamb. And it was, that's what they used to sacrifice. And so there was a, a ram that was used instead of Isaac as a substitute in place of Isaac. But he was at that point, he was bound unto death, ready to be killed, ready to be sacrificed. And he had surrendered his will to God. I can just imagine there was a real thanksgiving in those moments, in those days, and that walk back to home. All that. <laughs> now, briefly, I'd like you to share a few, thoughts, a few other things about Jesus Christ. <clears throat> because Jesus Christ is often described as the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that was given for our sins. And that, that he said some very amazing things. 
to it. And I just wanted to bring some attention to it real briefly. He says in John chapter 10, verse 7, 7 through 18, I'm not going to read all that, but let's just look at verses 17 and 18. And it says, Jesus is talking, he says, Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. He said this before he went to the cross. This had to be very confusing to the apostles. That he was able to lay down his life, and he was, that he could take it again. He said, No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down myself, and I, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. That made no sense to the apostles, but later on, they probably did. You know, you think about the communion. There's three places in the Gospels here where Jesus is initiating communion there in the upper room, and he gave them some bread, and he gave them some wine, and he, he said, Take this, take, eat this in my body, and to drink all of it, one of the New Testaments is shed for many. Those same kinds of words that are said in three different places there in the Gospels. Jesus emphasizing his broken body and his shed blood that was broken and shed for many for the remission of sin, for the forgiveness of sin. And he said in Luke also, this do in remembrance of me. Notice there, just one thing. Jesus didn't say well, he did say, remember my broken body, remember my shed blood. But he didn't say, remember my death. Now think about that. This is a little piece. Okay. The remembrance he wanted you and I to have in communion was to remember his broken body and his shed blood. He didn't say, remember that I died for you. He wanted us to remember in that communion the suffering in the body. And this becomes important when you move on up now to the cross. As he was approaching the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says that he was sweating great drops of blood, and it was the pressure of the weight of the sins of all the world throughout history, forward and backwards in every which way. And the pressure of that was coming upon him was so great that he was sweating great drops of blood. And the issue that was really going on there was his will. Was he going to stack, was he going to submit his will to the will of the Father? Then if there's any other way, let this be some other let's, let's go some other way with this. Some other cut. Three times he asked and prayed about this. And that was the question. That was the, the struggle that was going on. And finally, he submitted his will unto the Father. And he recognized and he placed himself, he bound himself unto death in purpose going to the cross for you and I to be the sacrifice in our places. And then when he got to on the cross, he was literally nailed to the cross. He was bound to the cross by being nailed to the cross. And there was no getting out of it at that point. And through the agony of those hours and so forth, seven times he spoke things. And the last thing that Jesus said on the cross was what? Did you know? Yes? That's, that's just one of, the things, one of the seven things that Jesus said was to forgive those people. They don't know what they're doing yet. It is finished. That's number seven. The last thing that Jesus Christ said when he was alive. What would you like to say? 
What was finished? Have you ever thought about that? When Jesus said, it is finished, what was finished? Wouldn't you like to have a commentary on that? Because Jesus would have elaborated on that one just a little bit. What did he mean? It was finished, yes? The battle. The battle, absolutely. The battle. The battle for people's souls, that's right. Because he had finished it, he had went to the cross, bound in purpose to die upon the cross for you and I, but also to suffer for you and I. The broken body, the shed blood, he asked us to remember him in those two things. And then he said, it's finished. So the battle was probably the main thing that was finished. Jesus, in his living, breathing body, consciously said, that battle is over. Now, he also died. And moments later, it says he gave up the ghost, but he had the power to take his life and to take it back again. And so when it was finished, and he declared it to be finished, then he ended his life. And he came back again. Now there is a condition. There is a set of attitudes as we have faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us. That he went bound in healed for that purpose and he fulfilled that for you and I then we can be in thanksgiving because we can rest in that that it was finished it was all done and there's no other place that we want to be except in following Jesus Christ because he said it's finished I'd like to close with a few thoughts in Romans chapter 5 there's a few verses here and I'm not going to read it entirely to you But just to pull out a few phrases, it's talking about there, it says, while, sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Yes, he did die for us. And we were yet sinners when that happened. We were justified by his blood, and we were saved from wrath. <clears throat> so we were justified by his blood. We were put in right standing with God by the blood that was shed. That's one thing you have to remember about Jesus Christ, but the blood that was shed. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus Christ is life of the whole. Yes, he did die. But he came back. And so our salvation ultimately is in his life. We are saved by his life. <clears throat> for us to really have a sense of things, we can be thankful for a lot of things. A lot of dispositions of life and blessings of life. But ultimately, the attitude of thanksgiving that we can have is to be nestled right there inside of all of the power and all of the love and all of the ability that God has put into saving us, justifying us, redeeming us, as we place our, our lives in that thing. You know, I don't want to live life outside of that. There's nothing outside of Jesus Christ that has eternal value. So we want to place ourselves bound. Sealed in, the door has been shut. We are placed in Jesus Christ. He has finished it for you and I. And that's the place. Yes. Okay, now during this offering, could a few people pick up the 